0: I met uh, John, your pastor, uh, a few years ago. Actually, re- recently after we moved back to Canada, and since then he's always said, "Hey, you should come and share at my church." Now he's never heard me preach. <laughs> I've never heard. Well, I heard him in in, uh, in uh, Colin Marin's wedding in in the summer, but um, I uh, I hope that that um, what God's laid on my heart today to share is, is something that will challenge us all. I know it's challenging me. So I just, first though, I wanna tell you a little bit about, um, about myself, or I guess more importantly, my family. And um, so I've got a picture here. And uh, so Shelly's right here, my wife of almost 25, it'll be 25 years this, this December. And uh, so we have this one issue maybe, in being in Oles, like, okay, so Shelly grew up in Sundry, and I grew up in Didsbury, okay? Like, so I know there's probably a few transplants in Dole's here too, but, but don't hold that against us, please, okay? Then we have our oldest son over on, the, on this side here, Towson. He's 20 years old. He's living in Calgary, studying and working there. And then Caleb here in the second from the left. And then he's uh, 16. He's in grade 11 at Olds-Quinonia Christian School. Then Annalise in the middle there, our, our daughter, who's 18 and studying at Mount Royal, College in university uh, in Cal- in Calgary studying nursing, and uh, and then and then Shelley and I here. So uh, Terry already told us a little bit of, or told you a little bit about where we're coming from, and so this morning, like uh, I'm just going to share a couple things about how life and missions, uh, it, what our life looks like, what God's um, done in and through us, and then. I'm going to mainly be those sharing a message that God has laid on my heart. Share here, but um, what I wanted to do because because we're not here actually, it's not necessarily a mission Sunday kind of thing, a uh, mission's focus, but it'll it'll actually come out in in certain ways because that's on God's heart, and I don't think it's it's impossible to avoid it if you're in the word. So, anyways, like like Terry said, about 19 years, we headed down to. To, we went to language school first, then to, to northern Mexico, and we worked there with the Arbol de Vida church. So anyways, the, the location is up there, three hours from the border, just south of Arizona. So a long ways, actually, to drive down to Mexico. People don't know the size of Mexico, but it's like, it takes three days or about 2,200 kilometers to drive down to Mexico City. So Mexico is a huge country. And uh, and I'll, I'll show you a picture. So we, um, the next picture is a picture of the church that God allowed us to, to be part of planting and then to pastor for many years. We went down to Mexico not expecting um, more than just working with the youth in the church. It was, a, it was a church that was being planted and then working with the music. I love like what Josh is doing here. That's my heart too. I love leading God's people in worship. And so we went down to do that. God had changed plans and grew us a ton to see us then um, Pastor this church that's, that, that was a picture we took on the last Sunday before we left, like Terry said i 'm going back and forth all the time, leading, but not going back to pastor that church that that job is done, so we're looking for an exciting future with with all the experience, the language and, and things that God has put in our lives to go to move ahead so we're on an extended time here, helping our kids get through high school mainly that's it's a really uh, interesting time in life, you who have high schoolers know that, and it's, it's awesome, but it's, it's got its challenges. There's a few different ministries we, can tar- we continue to, to um, um, direct and uh, do in Mexico, and I want to tell you this morning, just about one, before I get into what the rest I want to talk about. So I just want to put up, yeah, there we go, thanks Grant. Um, did anyone, has anyone heard, did anyone hear of a fire that happened in Mexico in 2009? 49 children died in this fire, in a daycare fire. So there's some people here, Becky. It was a, a terrible day. Um, that day, we were actually heading out. Shelley and I took our youth group. We were heading to a place about an hour south, to this retreat center. And we were, we had about 25 youth with us. We weaved through the city that was in chaos. Our, our city is about a million people. Hermosillo is the name of the city. And, uh... And we didn't know what was going on. Ambulances, policemen everywhere. We get down to there, and we meet for our first session, just to kind of, how about we were going to have a worship time and just get, kick off our retreat. And text messages started to come to some of the phones of the kids that were there. And they're like, there's 19 kids killed. There's 26 kids that have died. Like, these messages start coming. And it, and it just uh, broke us. This was in our city. These were little children between the ages of six months and two years that were, had been burned to death. And the number grew to 49 kids, and, and that's a picture of those kids that passed away. So we prayed in that room, and God heard our prayers. And um, within days of the accident, or maybe, what was it? Was it a week or two? H- having not knowing any of these families that were going through this, um, the, the doors were opened for Shelley, who had studied, as a non-believer, had studied to be a child life therapist, something that in, in Mexico was just not existent. And the doors opened for her, even the government invited her to come in, do therapy with these kids. Through all that, a ton of um, relationships have been made through the, the next nine years, been able to do... Um, Shelley's had therapy sessions and gone to their schools and talked about burns and bullying and all sorts of stuff like that. And then we've ended up being able to do day camps and Koinonia's been part of that. And then, and then, um, and then, we did three years of these weekend camps. Now, the part that just I would always break down and cry when I tell the story, but it was in the same room where we prayed that God would somehow use us. In that same room is where we've done these camps, like it, it, things that are not coincidence, right? And then. And then last year, you can throw up the next uh, slide here. I don't know if anyone heard of a group of 60 Mexicans coming to Canada. We brought 11 families, the whole families of burned children, children that had suffered burns, survivors, and uh, 10 ministry staff from our church. And there's another picture of us all out at Camp Little Red, just out here west of Bowdoin. And, like, words can't describe how God um, provided for that, for moved with, within the people, different ones receiving Christ, different ones being totally floored by the hospitality of the churches here. There were many churches involved, actually seven in this area that got involved with hosting, with, with serving these families. God truly does bring beauty out of ashes, like his word says. And, and we've seen that in this ministry. This is just one of the different things that God's let us do over the years. So, but imagine the way, or imagine, imagine the many families that are still trying to find justice nine years later. There's every 5th of June, which is the date of the fire, there's a, a group of fifty to 60,000 people that march through the city demanding justice. There's different questions. There's bitterness. And... Uh, Imagine the question which, which comes up in our world. How could a good God allow 49 innocent children to die and then a whole bunch of others suffer a lifetime of, of burns and, and amputations and those kind of things? God is, I think, it seems that God is opening a door maybe for us. There's been different little things connecting that, that, that maybe God would use us to help bring reconciliation and, 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 ability and healing to those families too. So pray for us in that. But this whole theme of, of, of burns and of, of fire and of, of um, the questions that would come up about why does this kind of thing happen, th- this came to a, a real point for me here uh, just less than a month ago. So I was heading down to, to Mexico on, I I went down and I was just driving in to Hermosillo on the, the 19th of January, so just recently. Um, as I w- settled in at my friend's house there where I'm, where I'm staying um, he showed me this little video about something that had happened the day before down in uh, southern Mexico and um, it, it, um, it it's made me think a lot and it's awakened me to a message that I think God wants me to share today and so this morning I'm starting with this question, what is good? And you'll see how this develops as we, as we consider the situation that happened that I'm going to tell you about here and then, and then as we look into how God, God's word explains these things. So I'm first I'm going to show you two little video clips. The first one, I'm going to just we're just going to see it's just 10 seconds or so and then I'm going to explain a little bit and then we're going to see another one. So let's just take a look at the first one and then I'll explain it. That that fountain there is is gasoline, okay? So That's a fountain of pure gasoline. Um, Lately, there's been huge issues in Mexico with with gasoline theft. Uh, People um, breaking, you know, uh, cutting into a line and then taking all they can and then reselling it or whatever else. So this happened in central Mexico on the 18th of January. They say there were more than a thousand people that were around there. It was like a party, it's like free gas, free gasoline. Like, like imagine the party that would be held in holes if one of the gas stations said, free gas, right? You would have lineups, like, who knows how long. Like, gasoline is is valuable there, it's actually more expensive in Mexico than it is here per liter, which is totally, uh, I don't get that all the time, but whatever. There's men, there's women, there's teenagers, there's people sending their, you know, their young people to go grab more more things to get gas. It's actually stolen, like it's actually not free. <laughs> they're stealing gas. At one point, the army comes in there, and, and with, loud, with, you know, with loudspeakers and everything, they're trying to get these people away. But okay, so you see that fountain, as, as dur- during two hours, it went on like that. It's like up in the sky. Imagine everyone getting covered with gas. Um, it blew, you know, you get a geyser like that, it's going to go all over the place. The Mexican, the army warns them, Nobody, people don't listen. Somebody, some people probably listen, but it doesn't look like it. Two hours of getting away with getting free gas. Then this next little clip is, there's lots of clips all over the internet, you can find them. This is just one that I got to, to show um, about what happened next. It's going to be hard to see, it's in the dark. So the thing went up in flames. You can see people running on fire. And there's videos. There's videos that go on and on in the day of everybody having a little camera with them. You can imagine. So when I, when I first saw that, it, like how do you, what, what, like what do you think, what, do you, can, what can you possibly think about what's going on there? 114 people died. 114 people. Um, so what do you think about something like this? And, and you know what happened after this? So there's, like, it's, it's a crazy place. There's, there's stuff being said. People are blaming the government. People are saying the government should pay for all the people that died. Like, okay, just a second, didn't they wanna be out there? Like, what's going on here? It, it, there's a lot of questions. How do you feel, how do you feel for people that were choosing to be bathed in gasoline when they, like, who doesn't know the gasoline is flammable? Like, how do you explain to your son um, that his dad is gone because he was out stealing gas? Like how? Like what? Like the questions are unbelievable. It leaves. It's just a sick feeling. So are these people to blame? Like, do you, Are they the victims or to? Like, there's a lot of questions. And 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 the key. I just want us to think about this. Wasn't there a sense in what they were doing? Many of them thought that this was good. They were actually, yes, I can't believe how awesome this is. Not the fire, but the, but the getting the free gas. So let's move on to the, to the next slide there. I want to just take a look at something. Um, Jesus, like, um, <clears throat> I'm going to be jumping over in, in, in different texts today. Jumping all over a little bit, but but there's there's some questions that come up um, when we see something like this happen in Jesus day, uh, and we know this through different stories, and we know this through this little story that I'll read in a second. When when there were tragedy, when there was tragedy or sickness, um, the question was, did they sin? So do you remember the blind man that was born, and they're like, so did he sin, or did his parents sin, or that kind of thing? You know, like as if sin brings on tragedy or sickness. And um, so let's just look at, at Luke 13, and I'm going to read 1 to 5 here. And, and um, this will get us to the point I want us to consider today. So, so there, were some, there were some present at that very time who told him, who told Jesus, about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. But I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. This is the part that, that, that struck me. This, here, Jesus is saying, we are all in the same boat. We are all, you and I, think about this, are all out there with our buckets, getting gasoline, getting covered, in gas, getting covered in what can kill us in an instant. All of us, the whole human race, one spark away from dealing with the consequences of what we think we're doing is great and good. So this has left me obviously with a sick stomach, I think, and a message. So I'm gonna ask this question a couple times today. What is your gasoline? What is your free gas? So what I want to do is uh, take a little time to understand how we got here, okay? And we're going to go back to the beginning. Everything always starts. We go back to see God's design and purposes. We're going to go back. I'm just going to talk about the, uh, the story of creation. And obviously we find that in Genesis uh, one to three, and, and man being created, and, and, and the story there. So, I don't know if you've noticed, when, when, um, when we see the story of creation and, and the first humans, it has everything to do with the question of goodness. So this question of what is good. Goodness, do you remember, what, is God, what does the Bible say that God sees after each day of creation? Anyone remember the words that are said? And it was the evening of the first day, and God saw that it was what? Good. Right on. Okay, so you're, we're on the same page. We're in the same Bible. That's good. As everything to do with God creating good. God being good and then just having that overflow into his creation. So he says it is good. And what does he say on the sixth day when, when humans are created? When he puts his, his image, his representatives, into the center of creation to reign, like to take dominion and to cultivate and everything. What, is, what are the words he uses there? Do anyone remember? It's not just good, it's, it's very good, okay? He says very good. Not a huge, maybe not a huge thing to note, but, but it's something that's very special. God has placed his, his image, humans created in his image, and, and everything's lovely, right? Everything is wonderful. Now God, uh, all the while, in this, in this creation story, is defining what's good. He's creating good things. How could a God that's good create anything less? He's defining what's good. So, who else then could better define good than God? Well, so right away we find the first humans, um, Adam and Eve, in the middle of a pure paradise of goodness. And they've got an opportunity to answer that question. Who can define good better than God? God. So the Bible tells us of two special trees. Anyone can, I can have those names of those trees? Anyone know them off by heart? So the tree of life, and what's the other one? The knowledge of good and evil. Are the names that are given to these two trees that are in the center of the garden. And, and, uh, and God, what does he tell the people about these trees? Especially, what does he tell them about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Thank you, Becky. Not to eat of it not to touch it, not to eat of this of its fruit. So these two trees are very special because they they represent things that we can still um, see right beside us today and, and I'll explain that a little bit. But so so the tree of life it represents in the garden it represents the source of life, their source of life, their source of growth. It's it's God's it's God's way for them, it's God's teaching, it's, it's God's goodness, it's, it's God's very eternal life that through, through, through eating from that tree, they're able to, to partake in his, in his immortality in a sense. Then, so there's this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and this tree represents a choice. God tells them not to touch it or eat of its fruit, but the name is a little bit tricky for us um, because... It isn't really a tree um, as if they were totally empty of knowledge and empty of, of, of the sense of anything. They weren't just robots or zombies. And, and it isn't like that they could just eat at that tree and then just get more, like just download Wiki, Wikipedia or Wikipedia or, or, you know, Google into their heads. That's, the point isn't necessarily that. Rather, it's, it's <clears throat> a taking of power a claiming of power to decide what is good and evil. So it's like when Satan, when the, when the serpent tempts them, he's like, you can be like God. Do you remember those words? You can be like God if you take from that fruit. And they're like, okay, that sounds good. Like, you can be the one that decides what's good. That's an easy way to think of it. So the tree of life is saying, God, God is saying, trust me and my design for life and, and creation and your purposes as humans, my image, my representative and my good creation, live in my teaching and you'll find wisdom in life. And the tree of knowledge of good and evil is saying you can trust in yourself to define what is good and evil for yourselves. The serpent tricks Adam and Eve into believing they can be like God and to trust themselves to define good and evil. And obviously we find out right away it's a deadly choice. And thats it's not like they weren't warned. God had told them that if they ate from it, they would die. They're basically out there carrying some buckets over to a fountain that set off a spark, right? It results in death, they're separated from God, um, this sin enters into creation. We can go to the next slide here. History repeats itself. So, it starts. So, what is the rest of the story? We've got, a, we've got like this huge, thick book that starts, the first two pages tall, tell us this story of what humans have done and how they've decided to be like God, how they've decided to define good. So, the rest of the story is, is literally chaos. <laughs> is that not true? The order that God had brought into the universe as he puts, as he establishes light and darkness and sun, moon, all the different, the order that he brings in. It was flung back into chaos. The whole universe suffers because of this choosing to put themselves in the place of God. Because, and why is that? Why is this chaos come? Because peace and order. Have you heard the word shalom? in In um, the word shalom is is a is a Hebrew word that, that talks. We we would translate it peace, but it actually means even it has a lot to do with order, with things being in order, and. Um, and, and shalom requires that only one perfect designer, obviously God, that, and one definer of morality exists. It demands that. Now now the world, after Adam and Eve had fallen, it has all these humans trying to decide what is good for themselves. So how did that go? How has that, that gone? How has that gone for the human race? It's gone really bad, right? It's gone really bad. Remember Cain and Abel? Like, okay, it doesn't take more than a couple sentences for us to find people murdering each other, right? We, we soon find vengeance. We soon find violence and corruption. And then within a few paragraphs, a couple chapters later in Genesis, we read these words in Genesis 6, verse 5. The Lord observed that the extent of human wickedness on the earth, he observed the extent of it. And he saw that everything they thought or imagined was constantly and totally evil. <laughs> okay, where's any room for anything very good? Like, think of good. Think of what's good. And evil. What, is, what is God seeing? He's seeing that it is cons- uh, consistently and totally evil. So, along comes the flood. God reorders, in a sense, <laughs> reorders the earth through Noah. It doesn't take long, though, for Noah... Okay, so Adam and Eve are in this garden. And where do we find Noah after he comes off the ark cultivating this garden? It's a vineyard. He ends up... It goes all bad again. He sins. It goes bad. The story carries on to um, another situation years later as God then makes a covenant with with Abraham, I'm not going to get into all the details because we're kind of running through the whole Bible here, and uh, but so so he so then God reorders in a sense recreates another people for him, uh, the Israelites, and he rescues them out of out of Egypt. So he he brings them, he conquers the sea, he brings them through the Red Sea. All those kind of pictures of, of what happened in creation, again, and uh, and he and he places them in a sense in a new garden. The promised land, Canaan, the land flowing of milk and honey. So, what do these humans do in this new place where they're supposed to just be able to live blessing and, and live in communion with God? We're we getting the picture, we're we getting a bit of a pattern happening here. They, they choose to go and worship other gods. They do the same thing Adam and Eve did. They choose from the tree, they, they say, We know better than God what is good. So, what do they get? out of the garden. They get exiled. Okay, so there's these big themes that are going on through the Bible. So what could we possibly expect from a population of humans where each individual wants to define what is good for themselves? So humans have organized themselves over the, over the millennium uh, in, in kingdoms. So these kings, there's kings through, through many um, um, uh, empires and that kind of thing. Kings that have considered themselves God and they somehow organi- they get enough people on board convinced with what they think, their, their perception of what is good and they convince a whole bunch of people and they kind of live, that's how we've survived as humans in a sense. Think of it like um, our government right now is telling us what is good. It kind of organizes the country but, but where is that, what is, how does that affect us? What are we thinking about the government saying to us what is good? There's a lot of questions we have as Christians, isn't? aren't there? Through history, as people have wanted to decide for themselves what is good, they've done something that's called rationalization. So a nice long word there. Rationalization. What's rationalization? Finding reasons, finding justifications or or excuses to feel good or to be convinced that what we're doing is good and worth whatever consequences could result from that decision. So people from... I already kind of explained this. Adam and Eve, they rationalize their behavior. Oh, man, that'd be cool to be like God. Let's A couple examples in the Old Testament. Joseph, Joseph's brothers. They rationalize selling their brother into slavery, like literal torture. For why? Why? So they rationalize that because they just can't stand him. So they decide for themselves what is good. They end up suffering, right? David, what, he rationalized killing one of his friends. How do you rationalize how do you make up reasons in your head to get to the point where you can kill a friend to cover up something you 've done that you think is good that's like that is incredible With even Jonah he, like he rationalized uh, his way out of following god 's voice like there's just tons of stories I just those were just a couple and then and uh, so we see this fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the hands and the mouths of humans through history. Hitler, he convinced millions of people that something was good. That was like, Who wouldn't say that was just totally evil? How did he rationalize that? Like How did he convince who knows how many people to go where they went, where the Nazis went? So today, what, what things are rationalized? The killing of innocent, unborn humans is rationalized and called good, seriously. Sexual immorality of all sorts is rationalized and called good. Greed and materialism, materialism, actually, I've thought about that a little bit, how that, that, the soaked culture we have of the gasoline of materialism. Cheating on taxes, whatever, and there's places in the world that have rationalized and called good there's people that think it's good for them to sell children to sexual tourists there's brutal 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 things that are happening in our world that somebody is thinking is good they are taking can you just see them taking from that tree can you see them going i'm going to de- i'm going to decide what's good i don't care what god thinks free gas it's free free gas Imagine going back to the picture of those people gathered around that fountain of gasoline. What was the rationalization that was going on in, the, in their heads, right? Getting free gas. Well, I'm, you know, I'm out of work. I need, to get, I need to move my vehicle. I need to be able to take my kid to school. It's actually the government's gas, and since I pay taxes, it's my gas. Like, there's, there's ways to, to rationalize what we want to do, Right? Or, or no one will know, or um, no one will know the difference. Like, it's just pouring out. It's just getting wasted anyways. It's just, it's just going to get wasted. Come on. Like, what's wrong with that? Or, you know, I deserve a break, whatever. When was the last time you rationalized something? When was the last time you rationalized something? These are different little examples. They're not all at the same level. When, were, when was the last time you rationalized just one more tin bit, maybe? Now, that's not very eternal, it doesn't have eternal weight, maybe. But you're, you're, you're practiced at this. We are all good at this, trust me. What about a juicy piece of gossip? What about a little peek at pornography? What about an outburst in anger that you could rationalize? What about murmuring against authority, whether it's in in your school, in your work, in your church, or in your government? You maybe said, I deserve it. I deserve it. I'm just hard done by. I just need this. I need a win. (laughs) Or they deserve it, whoever you're whoever else is suffering because of your decision or who you want to suffer maybe or no one will know what are the rationalizations you have done can you see how you and I are doing the same thing as Eve and the, as, as Eve as a serpent tells her you can be like God you can decide for yourself what is good this is you and me brothers and sisters so is anyone getting away with all this rejecting of God? All this rejecting of what he calls good? Is there a spark coming? And can we do anything about it? So let's go to the, good, the next slide, I think it is here. So there is good news. And I was thinking about, oh, I come into a church that doesn't even know me and people that don't know me. They're going to think I'm just thrashing on them. And that somehow God's shown me that, You need a good. I don't know. The thing is, we I realize we all need to hear this. So Paul says in Romans one. I'm I'm not gonna I'm gonna read a little bit from from Romans one a little later, but um, in Romans one, Paul starts out this argument for the gospel and why we need the gospel, and it talks about how God hands over humans to the he hands them over, he abandons them, these ones that want to reject him as the creator. And, and then decide for themselves what is good in, in, in those words. Uh, not, not in those words, but in, in that sense. And he hands them over to their evil desires. There's brutal results. Brutal results. Things go, it's, it's, it's the chaos there that I've been talking about the whole time. But the point of his letter, the point of the, of, of, of the letter to the Romans, is different it's got to show us this reality. We've got to wake up to that we are in that fountain of gasoline. But did God just walk away then and give up on us? I think we all know, we should know that that's not true. No, he, he hasn't given up. We know, most of us here know that this is where hope comes in, right? This is where God comes to our rescue. So that tree of life, in a sense, that, that tree of life, and actually when you go to the end of the, the story in, in Revelation, the end of Revelation, here we see the tree of life. The tree of life that is growing on the sides of, of the river in the, new, in the new heaven and new earth. There's a tree of life. This is a real thing, a real thing that, that is part of something we can't see, but we need to understand. So that, the tree of life then, has been unblocked. There's a new way back. And how did that happen? God became human. So the way to rescue the human race was not to wait for humans to find the perfect morality and fix themselves. We already see how that's going. <laughs> like, It's not happening, trust me. But we keep trying. The government today, our government would, would say, we, if you just let us define what's good, we will get us to utopia. Like that's, like, that's the, they, they know it's not real, we know it's not real, but that's kind of the message. New social programs, new definitions of what is good regarding marriage, new definitions on what is good regarding sexual orientation, regarding taking human life, the government, and, and, and not just the government, but it's, it's influenced by, by Satan, the evil one, Um, that there is a new way to define good that will somehow get us better. It's not going to work. But what else should we expect? What else should we expect? In the mind of a person that rejects God, defining good for oneself and for whoever else you can convince is actually totally expected. That's what you should be on a mission doing. And that's what people think they're on a mission doing, trying to figure out what's good, but they don't want to go to God. So we've been doing that ever since Adam and Eve... It's easy to see that it's impossible. What would it take then for us to be able to have a way back to the tree of life, a way to be saved? It would have to be another human, another Adam. Paul, Paul talks about Jesus as a new Adam that, that would start over and not fall to the temptation to decide for himself what was good. A human perfectly trusting in the good of the Creator the Father. We know that Jesus is that man. Jesus is God. Took on human, human flesh. Took on humanity. He took it on perfectly. He took it on forever. He taught us and showed us the way we are to live. He shared in our suffering. And then, so, so Jesus comes on the scene he starts telling people, get away from the gas, right? Like, they repent. but, but so, so since sin brought death and separation, the only way back to God, the only way for there to be a relationship restored between God and, His, and the image he created, the human race, was for there to be a substitutionary death once and for all. Um, and for thousands of years man shed the blood, which is like the life of sheep and other animals to find a place of forgiveness and connection with God. But we know that Jesus' blood, Jesus' blood was sufficient to cover all the sins of anyone who trusts in him and receives his forgiveness. He opens the way back. And the word grace comes in here. And I just want to take a second to think about grace because it's been at work since, since man sinned, at the beginning, we see grace working in, in Abraham and different ones along the way. But sometimes grace is a little misunderstood, and, and um, many people, and I'm sure Pastor John has explained it well to you, but, but there's, there are people that would think of grace as a, like a permission, like thinking of the people that were at the fountain of gas. You know, grace would be, well, you know, they need gas pretty bad. I, you know, they're pretty hard done by, and... Maybe let's just let them go out there, just, well, maybe we'll pray that a spark doesn't happen but, and that they'll eventually turn around. Some people, I think, think of grace as kind of like, oh, I'll just give them their space and maybe they'll figure it out. Like kind of not judging and stuff like that. I don't think that's what the Bible is telling us about grace. Grace is a special, undeserved, unearned power a special gift of favor, an embracing, rescuing, saving force that is activated when man trusts in God as who is good and turns away from trying to define for himself what is good. And faith, we use the word faith. Faith is that saying, I'm going to follow you. You are good. You know what's good. I am not going to be God. (laughs) Grace is a soldier that runs into that field, picks up a person covered with gas, carries them back to safety, and washes them off. It's not inactive. It's not passive. Grace is powerful and active in our salvation. It's important when we think... The, the other thing that I think people call grace when they say, "Ah, oh, poor them, and oh, just give them space, don't judge, you can maybe call that mercy, maybe. But, but grace is not wimpy. Grace is powerful to save. And that's how we are saved. It's, it's through grace and by faith. Okay, so it's Jesus who opens the way back to the tree of life. And I'm um, gonna just, just going to look for a second at how you can see the work of grace as, as it works through Christ, comes from God through Christ, um, gives us eternal life with God. It brings us back to paradise, new creation, salvation from the inevitable flames that will come on the gasoline-soaked definers of good. In Titus 2 11 and 11 to 14, I just want just a quick little illustration of, of how Paul, in his letter to Titus, talks about grace because it's, it, it just, there's a couple of words that are key here. So it says, For the grace of God has appeared. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. So it's a saving power. And then it, he starts on verse 12. That grace is training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Grace is powerful. It's moving us somewhere. It's not just going, oh, just let them have their space, don't judge them. It is grace, when grace is working in our lives, it's moving us towards godliness. It's like God embracing us saying, come with me. I want to make you holy. And And he gives us power to do that. I'm just going to go there for time's sake on, on that illustration of grace. But then I want to finish with, with two thoughts. So you could go to the next slide there, uh, please, Grant. So what are we doing with this good news or, well, with this message? This message sounds quite rough and, and dark in a sense, uh, what I've shared this morning. But it's actually really good news. Um, I want to think about what we're doing personally. So we've had a few minutes to think about maybe places that we are lined up, getting soaked with gas vapor, thinking we're gonna get something good. It's gonna feel good. It's gonna like, it's it's. I don't know. It's just gonna fulfill us, whatever. Where are we standing in line? Where are we dipping out of a fountain? Where are we rationalizing, saying to God, I know better than you what is good for me and for others. What have you thought about? What it, are there secret addictions? In a, in a group like this, what, what kind of things are you dealing with? Are we dealing with the use of our tongue, our temper? Maybe there's alcohol or drugs or other substances. Maybe there's a relationship that is sinful, it's dangerous, it's, 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 it's going to ruin people's lives. Maybe there's rebellion, disobedience. There's some cheating. Maybe you're trying to pull one over on somebody or the government. It's really hard to be honest with ourselves. It's really hard. Um, when you see that free gas, when you see, like, like nothing's happening, like, no, this... People are getting away with free gas. I want some. It's really hard to be honest with ourselves. But it's, it's very, very necessary. Your life depends on it. We have to be able to see that we are in the same situation as those gasoline thieves in Mexico. So I'm just going to go back. I said I was going to go back to Romans 1 for a second. And I just want to remind us as we finish here... Um, of, of what happens when people choose the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, when they choose to define their own good. Because Paul talks about this perfectly. He doesn't, use, he doesn't mention the tree, but you can just imagine the tree here. Romans 1.24. I'm just going to read 1.24 and, and some of the parts here to the end of the chapter. So it says, Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, he gave them up to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the, the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. So he gave them up to dishonorable passions. The women exchanged natural relations for those contrary to nature, and, and so did the man, doing, Just taking on, doing men, committing Shameless acts with men receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error, just getting covered with gasoline, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God. God gave them up to a debased mind to do whatever they ought not to be, whatever ought not to be done. And then he goes, he has this long list, and 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 they're filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, mal- maliciousness. They, they're gossips. They're slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, then there's somehow there's some knowledge of this tree of life. They not only do them, but they approve. they give approval to those who practice them. So these... Like, we start all bad people, right? Wow, these people are bad. But then he continues. And if you, can, if you can, maybe, if we are very quiet and listen closely, you can hear the gasps of the Romans that were reading this letter, and maybe we should be gasping too. Because listen what he carries on saying in chapter 2. Therefore, <clears throat> you have no excuse, O oh man. Every one of you judges, or... Every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another, thinking those people out there stealing gas were crazy, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. It's easy to judge people that are doing all these really bad things. So he carries on saying, we know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. So do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape from the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Repentance. It's like running away. It's washing ourselves from that gasoline. But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. There's tree of life language. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil language. So, on a personal level, I invite you to admit you're soaked in gasoline, hoping there aren't any sparks close. I ask you to let in the voices of the prophets through time. I just finished reading Jeremiah over and over again. He's like, God's saying to the people through him, I sent you prophets. I sent you, you guys are going to, you're going into exile. You're being, you're going to be like, ripped out of, Israel, of, of Jerusalem, you're going to be slaughtered, you're going to be taken into captivity. I have sent, like, why don't you listen to me? I have sent prophets after prophets. you killed them and stuff. Listen to the voice of the prophets. Listen to the voice of Jesus, obviously. Listen to the voice of truth that we have in the Word of God, the Bible, and run away from the fountain of gasoline and be washed in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. The message has not changed ever since the very beginning. Turn, repent, trust. God. saying, trust in me. So that's a personal level. I'm, we're going to pray about dealing with that, and we're going to take a moment to do that. And actually, if, Josh, if you want to come up, I just want to say a couple things about how we should be thinking then past our personal dealing with these things. How are we helping people in Oles understand what's going on? Are we rescuing people that are covered in gasoline? Are we helping people in Mexico? Are we helping people around the world understand the gospel? You can, you can, and you should be helping the message to get to everyone. Get involved in missions. Pray about how God would want you to go or to help someone else go, to send someone. Those are the two things we we have as believers to do. To not pay attention to people covered in gasoline is not an option. We need to repent, get out of ourselves, be washed in Jesus, choose His tree of life, choose His teaching, choose His good for us, But we need to be looking around us. And we need to do that either ourselves going or others going around the world. We need to start today. Let's let's just pray. Heavenly Father, forgive us. You know our hearts. You've, you've, you've heard our thoughts. You've seen our thoughts during these few minutes we've had together. You see our lives. You know our works. You do. There's nothing hidden. Nothing hidden that will not be revealed. And there's, you, you see it, Lord. You see where we're covered in gasoline, vapor. We think we're getting away with something that looks good. It looks free. It looks like somehow it'll, like, it'll make our lives better. But, but we also know, we, we know it's not right. We know your word. We've heard you say other things. We've heard you define what is good. Forgive us, Lord Jesus, today. Bring us to repentance. Let us turn, Lord, from, from that fountain of free gasoline to, Run away and find true life. Forgive us. Let us go from here today with your grace, submitting to that grace, the power that you want to cleanse us with, to sanctify us, to make us holy. Please heal us, Lord. Please save us who've walked years and years with you and, and maybe it's easy for us to judge and to say "Oh, those bad people forgive us and help us to repent each day, help us to live a lifestyle of repentance and of dependence on you falling on your grace we bless your name Jesus and thank you for the work you're doing in each of us we surrender to you